you can think of the greatest product ever, but if you do it in a silo and then you invite other people in who are smart, not smart, they're great, whatever, if they were not part of the ideation of the product, especially in the early phases, they have no emotional connection to it and they're just never going to care the same way you do. It's going to be a conflicting relationship from the beginning because it's going to be very easy for them to leave at five o'clock. It's not going to ruffle their feathers if it fails because they came last in the process. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Ryan Surehand, founder and CEO of Surehand, and author of Sell It Like Surehand and Big Money Energy. Now, Ryan is one of the most successful and well-known real estate brokers in the world. After a decade of leading one of New York's top-ranked resale teams, he founded Surehand, the first brokerage designed for a marketplace of tomorrow. In addition, Ryan is an entrepreneur, a producer, best-spelling speaker, an author, and star of multiple TV shows, especially on Bravo. It's been fantastic to listen to him and learn not only how he has reached and built this business, but the style in which he's done it. So before we get started, let's figure out how it all began for him. When I first got into the real estate business with no money, not being from New York City, not going to these schools, not being Jewish, not owning more than one suit, having my nice clothes being khaki pants and cowboy boots, could I find confidence in myself when I absolutely had none. And listen, I'm in sales. Sales has nothing to do with the product. I have never sold a house in my entire career. What I have sold is about $5 billion worth of enthusiasm and confidence. And so early in my career, when I made the decision to actually do this, like, all right, so I guess I'm not going to be a lawyer and I will just be a real estate agent. Let me see what I can do in 2008, in 2009, when I got started, I would wake up and I would tell myself, I'm the greatest real estate broker in the universe. I'm the best. If you don't work with me, I'm not going to be angry. I'm going to feel bad for you because you're going to end up working with someone who's not going to take nearly as much care of you as I am. Have I sold everything under the sun? No. But will I in the future? Absolutely. Have I sold a house for $100 million? Nope. Am I going to? Definitely. It's around the corner somewhere. And when people would say, how long have you been doing this? I'd say a long time. And then just look at my watch. But I would tell myself, I'm the best. I can do this. I've sold a hundred houses is what I would tell myself before I'd move in. And it wasn't just a pep myself. It was a, I'm convincing myself that I am not new to this, that I'm seasoned and that I am incredibly experienced. It really, really made a difference on fast tracking my career. Because what am I really selling? I sell confidence in buying a house, sure, but I also sell confidence in myself. It's the whole reason people hire me. They don't hire me because I can turn lights on, right? They don't hire me because I can do an Excel or answer an email really quickly. They hire me because I'm nice. I'm incredibly hardworking, but I can walk into a room and I can tell you to your eye, I'm the absolute best in the business. I'm going to get this done better than anybody else. You can work with me or you can work with one of the other 80 thousand real estate agents in New York City. One of my favorite moments is those, you know, where I actually first came familiar with you. I think there was a, a set of apartments that were for sale in Hell's Kitchen. 
And people were like, how are we going to sell these apartments? And they were classic. They were too small. They were tiny. They were, I always remember from the shows that you were on that people always seem to want like 100% more than the property value's worth. But always. <laughs> it's not fair. What I loved about you and you were like, I'm going to sell this thing. I can do it. I'm, you almost sort of rise to those challenges. Yeah. And but, but what was really interesting to me is you started thinking about like, what's unique about Hell's Kitchen? What makes this place a special place? What's going to sell the magic of not just like living in these four walls, but people are buying into a dream in the area, right? Yeah. This visualization that you're describing both for yourself, but even for buyers. And yeah. you went and got dressed up then as a ballerina and jumped into the room and yeah. literally hosted the best bloody party I think I could ever see. Yeah. And, you know, I think people were like fighting to get their checkbooks out by the end of it. And I was just like, that is badass. So, you know, this shows up in all parts of your life, the way you work, the way, way you operate. So yeah. what was that little magic moment that helped you see that? What gave you the confidence to start doing these bold things, right? Because most people are sitting there going, well, hang on. Maybe I'm not able to visualize the way sure. you are or, or do something crazy like that's fun, but is really likable. And people go, you know what? I actually want to work with this person. So what were your little hacks to help to get started there? Facts tell, stories sell. I've never bought anything from someone who just gave me the facts, unless I was going to buy it anyway. In which case, I could have bought it from him, from her, or I could have bought it on Amazon. Right? I think that I am in constant battle with and against the internet. All the information is now available. So I'm no longer the purveyor of information. I am the decipherer of information, right? I'm the translator of the information. And you should work with me because I'm going to explain it in a way that the internet's not going to be able to explain it because the internet doesn't explain information, it just gives it to you. And then you do with it whatever you want. And if you'd walk into that building in Hell's Kitchen, you'd walked into a building that had an okay lobby. It was on an okay block. It was surrounded by other buildings with other apartments for sale. Inventory was at an all-time high. This building was okay. It had a lot of apartments for sale. They're all too small, but they were cute. You know, they got the job done. But all the other buildings, what I saw, were all very boring. Everyone was selling brick and mortar, drywall, ceilings, bathrooms, kitchens. And no one gets excited about that. In low inventory markets, like what you have right now, let's say in the suburbs, South Florida, you put up a sign that says house and people say, how much? 10 million? Yeah, yeah, um, pretty much, right? And they're yeah, all in New York to head there at the moment. All too. of them. Yeah. But then back then, and this was a little while ago, you couldn't do that. And so I looked at the location and you got to remember, it's always location, location, location. And Restaurant Row is part of Hell's Kitchen. Broadway is part of Hell's Kitchen. Alvin Ailey, right? The dance troupe is part of Hell's Kitchen right there, as is some of the first jazz bars. Some of the first jazz music was played there. And so I took four of the apartments and I dressed them up and I gave them themes. One was Broadway. One was dance. That's why I dressed up like a ballerina. One was jazz. I put instruments everywhere, right? One was restaurant row. I had a chef in there all the time, right? I had food everywhere. And I got people excited about the location. So they'd focus on the location and the themes and the energy of Hell's Kitchen first. And then they would think about the apartments just being brick and mortar and being small and being efficient. But their first impression and their last impression was of, oh, cool location, cool energy. And like I said at the beginning of this, I've never sold an apartment. I sell enthusiasm. I sell energy. And people buy into the energy of the marketplace. And so we had to create that marketplace. 
listen, it wasn't easy. We sold a couple of those apartments to individuals, but we ended up finding one buyer and we bulked them all together and sold them as a commercial bulk sale. And the guy bought them all and he rented them all out for a while. And then as the market slowly improved after that, sold them off a little bit one by one for a little bit of a profit. Well, this is one of the things, again, I think that's interesting as you constantly evolved yourself. You are not a real estate broker today. You're in a multitude of things. You've managed to sort of extend yourself to write about sharing what you're doing. Sure. Turn that yourself into a product in a way and start to build sales systems, coaching programs, different ways that people can start to actually understand your methods and actually, for you, leverage your time and your skills. So what were some of those big transitions for you? You think about your not standing there in khakis trying to sell some suits. What helped you sort of start to recognize to make the changes in yourself, the way you lead? Because everyone can't buy from you. You don't sell every single apartment. Sure. So how did you do it? To be completely honest, I want to always be happy. I don't want to wake up and be unhappy. I don't want to go to bed unhappy. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to have a dependency on any single line of happiness. And so I realized that, okay, real estate is now by default and totally by accident. I wasn't born a broker. I had no intention of becoming a real estate agent. I only became a real estate agent because I ran out of money in New York City and I didn't want to move home to my parents' ranch in Colorado because I thought that would be the end of my life. And so I just started renting apartments because it's pretty easy to become a real estate agent in New York City. And then I just kind of got addicted to it. And it's like, oh, I can rent an apartment for $4,000 a month. My commission is $4,000. I split it 50-50 with the house and I get $2,000 for a day's work. That's like a month and a half of my expenses at the end of 2008. I can do whatever else I want the rest of the month. But fast forward and that real estate oak tree has a lot of ups and downs. Get deals done, but you lose more than you get. You make a little money, but then you lose money. You get fired a lot. You work for free. Real estate agents, people think we make so much money, the commissions, I have no salary, no benefits, no help. I am a complete lunatic. I work for you. I work my ass off for free until you decide you want to maybe pay me. That is how it works. Everybody else I work with, they have salaries. They get bonuses based on production. They have like structure to their income. And I've never had that. So if real estate is having a bad day, I want to make sure that I will always be happy. So what I decided to do was diversify happiness. I want to diversify my opportunities for happiness. And so I'm going to branch off from my real estate oak tree. So I'm going to do brokerage, but I'm also then going to teach other people how to sell. And I'm going to create an education technology platform where anyone who sells anything can learn how to sell and we will build a subscription model. And we'll have subscribers, and we will sell them courses online. We'll have mentorship programs. We'll have coaching. And we started that at the summer of 2019. And so we just celebrated our two-year anniversary with that company. And we now have just over 8,000 salespeople subscribed in over 109 countries. And you're selling merch as well. I saw I could get a new t-shirt on your show yesterday. Well, well done. Yes, we also, we sell apparel team hates it when I call it merch. They think it's cheapening the brand. And so we sell apparel. That's more honestly just for fun. Then we have a a production company. That's what I love about this, right? Like do whatever you want. It's not an online course. It's all personality with you. You can do whatever you want. So then I built a production company. I just hired the guy that created all the video content and led video for BuzzFeed and the Players Tribune. And he runs our studio. And we created, we're building right now, 
the only real estate media production company and a real estate media network. And it's just never existed before. And we're a niche market, but I think that's where the value lies. And so if real estate's having a bad day, I've got the production company. If real estate and the production company both suck today, I've got the education platform and I got a pro member who's paying $26,000 to be here for one hour to learn how to sell for me. And let's go talk to her about what it means to sell in Lansing or Dallas or Panama or South Korea, wherever they're coming from. And it's exciting. And so I diversify opportunities for happiness. So every single day is exciting. That is something that I had to learn trial by fire, but it's really, really proven beneficial for my long-term career. Yeah, now diversification is the key, right? One of the things we do at NoBu Studios is we've obviously got this mission to launch 100 companies in the next five years, which is pretty bold and ambitious. So we have everyone from, I know, Bobby, people who have great ideas that they want to bring their businesses to life, but never knew how before. So Bobby Soper, right, runs Mohican Sun, you know, one of the leading sort of hospitality people in the world. How many businesses yeah. can he launch in a month? Well, he can just bring them to the studio and do it. Dave Melser, who's been on your show, great coach and leader about different businesses. Yeah. But again, you see even with the online platforms, there's only so much that you can do. There's only so close people can get to you. The production companies, I would have said, if you asked me four years ago, what's the most important job in the world? Our most opportunistically upside job in the world, most people would say, go be an engineer, join a tech company. Yeah, software. Yeah, well, I would say today, if you're someone who can make videos, 90 second clips, and turn average content into amazingness, that's the most powerful skill in the world right now. Yeah. Because the attention economy is short. So even as you're starting to diversify into thinking about media companies, you know, the way I look at that, I'm saying like, this is natural to you. You've got that innate skill where you're you know how to make pop content. So why not make a business that makes pop content for other people sure. and monetize a skill that's easy for you? You know, like that's the power of what we do in venture capital and venture studios, just constantly getting great people to start building these companies that are natural skills to them, but don't have the bandwidth or time to do it. And then yeah. when you have these influencers who are building these companies that they believe in and their ability to turn up the noise on them, you know, we've got people like Ray Leonard Jr., world famous personality and speaker, UFC fighters who want to build and, and create psychedelic type companies. But Bobby Soper, obviously one of the largest and best hospitality people in the world, opening you know, billion dollar businesses all around Asia and North America, CIOs of American Airlines. These people who are bringing their ideas to life in a studio, it's pretty fun and exciting spot to be, but it's all about diversifying. Because you're building lots of different businesses. You're diversifying your skills, your portfolio, your investment strategy. And I think it's really important for people to see that as a skill to develop. And you obviously start to see it because mm-hmm. you look at your own business yourself, yourself as a product. So let's talk a little bit actually about that. One, another thing that really jumped out to me that I saw you talk about recently that really struck me is when you started your business, you said it was all about product and the process and the people to get there. Yeah, But most recently, you seem to have flipped that opinion. So tell yes. me why and what was, what, what was the trigger on that? Yeah, when I started, you know, there's a lot of people around me. I figured, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to hire people to do what? To focus on what? I don't, get, I don't need get to do you, that. Get you ballet dance outfits and jazz musicians to fill those apartments with, right? Exactly. But I can hire those people for one night and then cut them loose. I didn't want to surround myself with team members or employees who what, didn't feel like had, had a mission. 
And so I was really convinced because I thought I'd read enough business books and understood the world enough to know that product comes first. You have to know what you're going to create. Okay, you got to have the idea, then the process, okay, for creating the product, marketing the product, and then the people to actually execute. That made complete sense to me. Yeah, um, that's what the business book says. Yeah, for a long time. And then I tried it. What I realized was you can think of the greatest product ever, but if you do it in a silo and then you invite other people in who are smart, not smart, they're great, whatever, if they were not part of the ideation of the product, especially in the early phases, they have no emotional connection to it and they're just never going to care the same way you do. It's going to be a conflicting relationship from the beginning because it's going to be very easy for them to leave at five o'clock. It's not going to ruffle their feathers if it fails because they came last in the process. And I learned that very much the hard way. So I've decided to then flip it. And I looked at the success of much larger companies in not just the way they were initially created, because it wasn't like, all right, guys, let's build a computer. And then we're going to get all these people to help us build this computer, product, process, people. Once you create that one hit wonder, how do you create an everlasting brand and firm? It was then all about the people. And so I had to stop looking at the beginning of companies for inspiration and really start looking at that messy middle. How did that company come out of that initial pop and then really race? Right? How did that company get through the recession and then really race? And what it really came down to was it had nothing to do with the product. It had everything to do with the people. And the people can do anything. If you're, if you're surrounded by great people, hardworking people, emotionally connected people, they will do everything possible to make sure that the company is successful with this product or that product or this new idea or that new idea. The people this. that have created all of these businesses with me are the same people. The guy that runs the course, okay, and has built it to over 8,000 subscribers in over 100 countries, started with me as an incredibly smart producer, producing content. And then we just started talking and he had a great business sense and he studied it and he's like, this is a great idea. Let's make this happen. I was like, are you sure? <laughs> He's like, yeah, this is what we're going to need as an investment. I'm like, oh, are people really going to want to learn how to sell from me on the internet? You know, even just, you know, in 2018, when we started creating it, online education was like Phoenix Law School. It wasn't exciting. And then COVID and everyone got let go or furloughed. And they all said, why am I selling shoes? I should sell something else, but I have no idea how to sell. And there's no selling platform. and the business went from being a good business to being a business that's on a rocket ship. Even the, the studio, right? The studio was my property tour guy, the guy that would make our property tours because we have to make property tours to put on the listing so people can see the videos. It's like, you know what? We should do more than just property tours. Let's grow. Let's expand. Let's widen our river, right? We have the water. Let's widen the river and catch it all. Otherwise, there's going to be overflow or the river's just going to stay real narrow. So let's do daily vlogs. Let's put it on YouTube. Let's see if that's weird. Let's see how that works. Let's see if that grows our following. Oh man, because of that, we're now the most followed and subscribed to real estate brokerage in the world. And those people are buying and selling from us. Oh, and it's 2021 right now. I'm still going to be in business in 2030, which means that in 2030, my agents at that time, my clients at that time, right now today are 15 years old. How do I get into their brains today so that in nine years, 
I am their default choice because I don't care about clients today. I mean, I do, but they're there or they're not there. 2022 has already been written. I've already done the work for it. I did the work for 2022 and 2012. So I want to make sure that I'm living in the future far enough so I can predict my future. Uh, So by the time that I get there, it's like, yep, yep, this is what's happening. Even if there are surprises like a pandemic or a recession or a hurricane, that we are diversified enough, we are consistently happy, and we can move, stay flexible, and grow wherever needed. And you can only do that if you start with the people, then come with the product, and then create the process. And that was something that we had to figure out. Yeah, no, it's great. I need to break this one down for folks because so many nuggets in there. I think it deserves a few highlights. So first of all, I think this notion of people joining an idea late, not feeling buy-in for it, I think that's such a really interesting, unique idea, right? Because most people do just get orders handed out to them and shoved them and say, build this thing, but they've yeah. no emotional connection to the root of the idea, right? Like we, we see that all the time when we're trying to build companies. It's the magic moments when people are in there from the beginning that they build the empathy, they build the understanding, and actually they end up making better decisions than the people who initially inset the ideas because they get so involved in it. I think that's really, really classic insight there. 100%. Other little things you're sort of nuancing to, placing bets or seeds for the future. I love this idea. So many of the companies we work with, they're sitting there thinking about their customers of today and how they look after them, manage them, maybe keep them, retain them. But I think one of the things you're alluding to here that's sort of subtly in your story is understanding who your next customer is and understanding where they are and then starting to reach them in new, interesting ways. And you're experimenting. Like you said, like I didn't know if we'd chop up this video and put it on the internet or stick it on TikTok and learn how to dance. Well, we know you can dance. We've seen you do that before. (laughs) But I think reaching people where they're at Even now, it creates a differentiated personality for your customers for today. You stand out, you look like an innovator, but you're actually speaking to your next series of customers in a language that they understand. That's winning two sides of the market. It's actually drawing in and retaining the people who you have today because they're like, hey, he's doing something interesting, innovative, but you're also starting to work on your acquisition funnel. Because the people who are your customers of the future, you know, they might be sitting in Wyoming at your parents' farm, hopefully going to New York one day to become a real estate broker and change the world. Who knows? But these are all subtle things I think that most people aren't necessarily aware of systematically how you're building these businesses. Right. And so I think it's really important when people hear these stories to try and underline these systems. It's thoughtful. You're thinking about it, but you're experimenting. Yeah. And I think that's a really powerful thing for people to understand is. Not to be afraid to put yourself out there. When you talked about when you were visioning the person you wanted to become, that you're diversifying, that you're trying different things to grow the brand, but you're also thinking about customers of today and customers of tomorrow and ways to communicate with them. And, you know, like that's the magic. Trusting your team when they say, you know what, I think there's something here. I think we could codify your coaching into a platform and turn it into a product and, and it could go exponential. So don't teach 50 people how to sell, teach 5 million. I had different ways about we're editing and chopping up content for our own business. How do we flip that into a business? So other people who want to model or be like what we're doing, we can actually monetize and build products around them. That's for me is the entrepreneurial mindset where you recognize if I have a problem, can I solve it for myself? And then can I actually optimize it and turn it into a digital product or a business and solve it for other people and then build out the portfolio 
And I think there's a lot, like anybody can start doing this. You know, I don't think you necessarily have to be as you, like, you know, written books, being on TV, done the whole. So what would be your advice for folks then to get started with some of this? The day that you arrived in New York with your khaki pants and the bus ticket and said, I'm not going back to Wyoming. How would you help some folks get started on this journey? And because I think people can start actually quite small and have quite a, quite a big impact. I guess it would depend on what the journey is. I mean, you mentioned it. We are in an attention economy. The most valuable generation right now is Gen X. They don't have TV. They don't read. They are the largest consumers of retail goods. They are incredibly influential. They are environmentally conscious. They don't see color. They don't see gender. What do we do with these people? How is this going to work? And what are they doing on TikTok? But we all have to be aware of the fact that we are all getting older, but our customers are all getting younger, unless you run nursing homes. Which is, by the way, a great business. Great I have some, business. Very, great I have some business. very wealthy clients who have really nice airplanes and cars and houses and man, oh man, they just build nursing homes everywhere because people refuse to stop getting old and dying. It's like- Well, it's, we're living longer. That's another problem that's- Yeah, so they go in there and they stay there and pay rent for so much longer. It's nuts. Anyway, I, like, I don't know. If Million Dollar Listing New York came to me today- Sure, I'd probably do it, but like the decision would be very different for me. I can get more viewers on an Instagram story than I can get on live cable television. And I can do that in four minutes versus two years of trying to create one season of a cable show. So for anyone out there who's either in sales or trying to get a brand out there, or trying to create awareness for some sort of product, you are trying to grab attention from consumers who, who are being harassed for their attention all day, every day. So how do you grab that attention out there? Right now, it's totally free. You can create content across YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok for free. You can do it on your phone. It's like mind-boggling to me. When I got into the business in 2008, Facebook existed in colleges. It wasn't even like a thing that you would do business on. It like wasn't even real. You would, I would get clients through Craigslist, right? That was the place to get clients or New York Times classified ads. And everything costs money. Craigslist ads for real estate cost money. New York Times classified ads cost money. To get on TV, oh my God, that costs so much money. Now I can get more attention for free than I've ever been able to get in my entire life. And than we've ever been able to get in the history of the universe. For anyone listening, what story are you trying to sell? Is it a story about your investment services? And why is your story better than everybody else's? Get that story out there in the form of content. You see it now. I get hit by ads from wealth managers, investment bankers. The gloves are off. There's no more like, oh no, we're Upper Crest, Madison Avenue. We don't do that type of stuff. Your customer isn't even going to know about you unless you play on their field and their field is in their phone. That's my biggest advice. Don't wait until it's too late. Otherwise, you're going to be the person who said that the internet wasn't really going to do a whole lot in 1994. What I also love, it sort of ties back to your opening story. I think one thing you found to do very well, and again, it shines in the content you create, is you're being yourself. So maybe where you thought you had to be somebody different in the beginning, you thought you had to be, go to the right school or wear the right watch or your suits have got a little bit better. I'll give you that. But it's just, you know, <laughs> you're yourself. 
and as you said, people are buying you. They're buying the experience of understanding you. They're buying your perspective. How do you share your unique perspective? And all of this stuff you can do in two, three minutes and really draw people in. And I think that's a really interesting way for folks to think about starting and experimenting and trying different things, seeing what platforms work for you, seeing what modes work for you, and then building up your audience from there. And I think that's a really powerful, yeah. actionable step that folks can go for. Yeah, for sure. And I remember a really good example of that exact thing for me is had I gotten into the real estate business a couple years earlier than I did, so 2004 or five or six, something like that, or any earlier, the training was real estate agents hold the information. We have the listings, we have the information, clients come to us, we give them the information, we sell homes. 2009, 2010, websites like StreetEasy, Zillow, Realtor.com, all these things started <laughs> popping up. And all of a sudden, all of the information that real estate agents used to keep in their pocket and sell from was now completely public. And all the consumers were saying, I don't need a real estate agent, I can go public. But I don't understand the information. So when I got into the business, all the information was already public. I didn't know what it was like to keep all the listings in the cabinet in the office on 49th Street. And so I never had that benefit. So I always thought that, all right, well, to be the best real estate agent, I have to have a strong personality and I have to be able to empathize with my clients, have great energy, and I have to be able to explain the information that they already have in front of them with my perspective, like you just said. Like, why do people watch the news? You don't need to watch the news. The news, my phone tells me the news 100,000 times a day. It's all right there. Why would I turn on the news? I turn on the news for his or her perspective. What are her thoughts on it? And how is she going to deliver it to me in a way that I can understand without having to think? Because people just don't want to think because they have other jobs. They do other things. They got their kids. They got their wife. They got all this stuff. Do the thinking for people and you can be wildly successful. I love that uh, little insight. Do the thinking for them. Really good. That's what I tell people when they're like, what am I going to pay you a commission for? Because with me, you don't even have to think. I'm going to do the thinking for you. How much time can you save without having to think or stress about this entire process? And what's your hourly wage at work? How much money do you make? How much are you worth per hour? Really think about that. I am so damn cheap. You know? I love it. Well, Ryan, I just want to say thank you very much for investing your uh, time with us here today. My hourly wage here. Have some fun. (laughs) But I think there's so many really actionable things for folks to take away here. People are always inspired when they hear the stories, when you've had to change your thinking, the things that you've tried. But you're really role modeling a lot of this stuff, giving it a shot, experimenting, testing, learning, failing, doing some fun stuff. So thank you very much for dropping a few little lessons with us. Thank you, Barry. You're the best. Thank you so much for having me.